0: Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here and welcome to the 433rd episode of the urban farm podcast where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution
1: welcome welcome everybody greg peterson coming to you from the urban farm in a uh, quite cool phoenix arizona we i think we had our coolest february on record here in phoenix and uh, that's good for killing the bugs which i'm really happy about tonight we are in for our uh, monthly seed chat and we have a uh, special guest bell star is on the line with as well hello bell i'm
2: special oh hi of course.
1: my dear friend Woohoo. hello hello and plus, <laughs> plus so we have bill mcdorman and they are both fresh out of the mountain west seed summit uh, and i from what i hear it's pretty it was a pretty epic event so i think we're just going to jump in and let you guys go and i'm going to probably just stay out of the way
2: yeah. Oh, I don't know about that, Greg. That's kind of hard for
1: you. <laughs> well, I'm,
3: that's
1: true. And I
2: just I
3: just want to invite everybody if you have questions, you know, to enter your questions on your screen and we'll oh, try yeah. to get to those also. Yes. Well, I
2: think we should start by taking a nice deep breath. Oh, yes. And exhaling. It it was it was very very epic, Greg. I was just reading the surveys. And we had about 200, I think we had about 210 people. It was, uh, Friday, this past Friday and Saturday. Friday night, we got a horrific snowstorm wow. in Santa Fe. And we, 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 we held it at the Institute of American Indian Arts which is in Santa Fe. Did I say Santa Fe? Oh, sorry. I thought I said Santa Fe. Uh, Still in recovery mode mode here. We held it at the Institute of American Indian Arts, which is about 20 minutes out of Santa Fe. And uh, by the time we left Friday night, we were like in a blizzard. So we lost some folks on Saturday, but turned out the sun came out. It was beautiful. It was brilliant. The snow kind of washed everything clean. The air was sparkling. And so we had about 210-ish people and we had a beautiful Thursday field trip with 60 people.
1: Wow. And
2: yeah, you know, these things, these, uh, anybody who's probably listening right now, um, has been to conferences. We've all been to conferences. We've, mm. many of us have been to seed conferences. I think what made this so different is the nature of the human beings that came together to discuss The different topics about seeds, and it was emotional. It was contentious. It was fiery. It was people. Um, I was, as I said, I was reading the the surveys, and there were so many tears. And I personally went through many, many healings and epiphanies, and just and tears, tears. I mean, you know, you, when you, when you think about seeds. You probably don't think, oh, people are crying. Well, and maybe you do. I mean, if you're if you're plugged in, you certainly know that that there's a lot to cry about. It's crying in a in a positive sense. Oh yeah, you're not, I, not I'm in sorry. A, all right, I'm yeah. just yeah. crying. Well, crying in a positive sense <clears throat> and in, in a a sense of release, release and relief and some sadness too by some of the things that are definitely happening around the globe that seem to be out of control, out of our control, but um, also with the people in attendance, there are many who are working on the quote issues on many different levels, including on policy. We had Andrew Kimbrell with us from the Center for Food Safety. He's the executive director and he's, he's in Washington DC and he's been, um, he's been in the trenches for 35 years winning lawsuits against certain unnamed companies who have merged recently to make their bad name go away. To you know, restore the rights of those seeds to the to the people that they belong to. They're not. It's not just germplasm or genetics. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was the maybe the single most important thing that came out of the event is the spiritual nature of this work.
1: Interesting. Say more about that. (laughs) I'll
2: let Bill. I'll let Bill take that because I'm maybe
3: let's let's paint kind of a big picture. So the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, you know, is a non-profit seed conservation organization. And it's emerging in a unique way. It's not being, it was never set up to, and it is not going to try to save seeds itself as an organization. It's not going to have a big seed bank, probably a big collection that it has to raise money to try to protect and then send those seeds back out into the world. The the model for the Riker Mountain Seed Alliance was to educate and inspire people all over one region so that they could grow and save their own seeds and then network them together so that they could share seeds and stories, of successes and failures. And so in the short five years that we've been in existence, we have um, about 4,000 people now on our email list. We have trained more than a thousand people in our seed schools of various kinds, Seed school Online being one of them. Yep. we've got it. We did uh, three trainings, four trainings now, and have over a hundred seed teachers trained. And these are people to go out and teach their own seed schools. So now we're starting to grow exponentially. We've got 82 seed libraries signed up on our directories, and you can go on our website. Anybody can and kind of hook into this network. So the idea behind the Mountain West Seed Summit is that every other year, uh, open the doors and let's bring everybody together. That the what it's going to take as we go into the future to save these sorts of resources are real human relationships. We got to know each other. I mean, it's one thing to be on a directory and email back and forth, even exchange seeds. And there's some great stories of long-term lifelong relationships being created that way, but there's nothing like getting together with the people that you've been dealing with. And so that's probably the core of the emotional energy. Anyway, it happens at mm, the Mountain Seed Summit. It, it felt like, it felt like one
2: big seed school. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, and if we had asked people, like, how many how many people have been to seed school, I, I swear half the people have been to seed school or been wow. influenced by other people who have participated or who are in our circle, like our wonderful board member, Don Tipping from Siskiyou Seeds, who had the Seed Academy, and Rowan White, who we have taught with and who has Seed Seva uh, online course and on the ground um, from Sierra Seeds, and then uh, another wonderful young human, uh, Casey O'Leary, who's one of our board members, and she has the Snake River Seed Co-op, and and she does a lot of uh, training. So the trainings are happening, and that was actually one of the topics that we covered. But I want to just go back to your, the spirituality piece, unless I interrupted you, Bill, and you want to oh, finish that thought. The Okay, so I just want to say, and I, I hope that I can articulate this well enough or express it in terms of how I'm feeling, because the I can feel the emotion come up. And Greg, you know me. I'm not like a hugely emotional human. I'm mostly kind of, you know, the alpha female person that runs a lot on adrenaline type A personality. Mm -hmm. But I do get emotional. I do get emotional. And this was, it just, it made me realize that, I know the work's important. I know that we need to help other communities, especially in the Mountain West, um, get reconnected to their own seed sovereignty, that there's so many things that help us um, by doing that in terms of our food and our culture and our community. I know all of that is important, but it regrounded me in the notion that this is really spiritual work. Mm -hmm. This is the basis of who we are as human beings. And the magic in that little seed and the relationships that we have with those seeds and with each other is what it's about. That's that's the essence. And you can't put that into an equation. You can't dissect it. You can't pull out its DNA. And certainly you can chart the, the genome sequence. But the essence, again, is the really the genesis of who we are as human beings. Yeah. In, our, in our seeds. Well, you know, so, you know we,
3: obviously we depend on seeds for our food. And so in a sense, it's a fundamental value to us. But we heard uh, express, uh, expressions over and over, especially being in the Southwest, of uh, not only does it provide sustenance, but it provides identity. It, it's who many of the Pueblo peoples, you know, that's how they know who they are. They take yeah. care of their corn and their seeds. And so... Yeah, in that sense, it's really a wonder, you know, was a really wonderful expression
2: of what Bill's talking about, I think. Yeah. So in terms of moving forward, you know, we had this incredible array of diversity. So the the people who joined us were as diverse as the seeds themselves. And initially, when we did the first Seed Summit two years ago, I thought that we would primarily stick to the mountain because that's the organization, the Rocky Mountain Sea Alliance. But the way things have been evolving, uh, we had an opportunity to have a couple of gentlemen from Zimbabwe join us that actually came through a rather surreptitious grant. I won't get into the details of that. Wow. <laughs> another, another piece of um, serendipity that dropped out of the sky and made it possible to bring Dr. Joseph Mushita and, Aunt, I'm sorry, Dr. Joseph Mishunga and Andrew Mishita from the Community Development Technology Organization in Zimbabwe. They were able to join us. And these guys are seed breeders and educators on the ground working with farmers, 65 person organization. They're changing seed laws in Africa. I mean, it's, you know, that kind of, that kind of participation is oftentimes very difficult to have in any uh, conference, especially one on seeds. And then we had somebody from from India, Indra Singh, joined us, who's done a lot of on-the-ground work in India. India is changing seed laws like crazy. We had, you've heard Bill talk about the Politi Seed Festival in Greece. It's like the largest gathering of seed people and seeds on the planet with no physical, no
0: oh um, yes. and
2: mortar. yeah, facility where they have more, I, I love what Bill, What do you say, that they have more seeds, and well, they're, quote, a seed bank, which is a virtual seed bank. Well, there, it's a festival, and
3: people come from all over Europe once a year, and they bring the seeds they've been saving and growing. And at the festival for three days, which is music and food, there's some back-line database work being done to make sure that everything's being taken care of, and the things that need to be grown out for the next year then are sent back out to oh, all wow. the people's, to, and so they're now taking care of more seeds than the Greek National Seed Bank. And they really don't even have a budget except for the festival. And but, and that's the model we're trying to and the adopt end. here. yeah, yeah. In the, in, Because I really don't think anybody's coming to save us. <laughs>
2: you so know, we had uh, Panayoti is the gentleman's name who started. The yeah, he's the founder of the festival. Yeah. And so we, in when they had their festival this past, I guess it was April or so, our co-founder and board member John Kasha went over to participate in that seed festival. And there was a big love fest. And then we invited Panayoti, who came with his son and a friend. And it just it, it just broadened. I think what we we've come to understand and Bill and I experienced this when we went to the Philippines a couple of years ago to teach with our friend Sherry Manning. At Global Seed Savers, yeah. the uh, organic farmers in in the Philippines, that everybody is dealing with the same circumstance all over the world. What's that? Well, their their seeds are being threatened. Yes, yeah, yeah, their seeds are being co-opted. Their seeds are being threatened, patented, <laughs> patented. The you know intellectual property rights, which you know now feels like such a foreign term to me when speaking of seeds. That you know, it's happening all over. You yeah you know sixty three percent of the seeds are owned by you know a handful of companies, and now several of those companies, or at least one of those companies has has merged Bayer now owns Monsanto. so you know it's getting even more co-opted and more monopolized as as we go on. and so what do we do as backyard gardeners and people who have cSAs, community supported agriculture projects and seed libraries and small farms and you know what do we do to protect our rights? And so coming together to discuss this was groundbreaking and unusual because we did have all these different aspects. You can't find like a seed gathering, I don't think that would have. And of course the, the uh, indigenous community, we had more indigenous people than we did uh, certainly the first time. And we tried to really create a circumstance where there was space at the table, you know, that, that we, that we could learn from each other. And, uh, even that was, uh, was eye-opening and, and heartfelt and challenging as a conference producer. Very, very challenging because it's different cultures, you know, yeah. we're, we're talking, we're talking about a bunch of white people here that are very linear and, uh, the Native community doesn't work that way. So we, right. we learned a lot in that circumstance and that, uh, you know, from that perspective. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I, you know, I think
3: that, For me, it was the diversity of people that came together and because they came from some such far and wide, it just reinforced this idea that sort of the citizen science, grassroots, use new, you know, networking software that's available to us allows, you know, organizations like ours now for the first time to really be effective and to start to emerge. And I, and I got the feeling over and over that the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is um, emerging as a model. You know that we've taken oh, these tools. Nice. We've taken these tools, and you know it's off-the-shelf software that runs our website that allows the directories to come up that anybody can tap into and and then communicate with anyone else on the network without us even knowing what's going on. I mean that software was uh, created for the Howard Dean campaign, and it's open source. And so the, you know I think that's just a sign of these modern times. And we've just done it pretty well, I guess. Uh, I I think for me, this summit was an affirmation of that. You know, when so many people came from so far, so many important people that have been involved in the seed world, one of the surprises, and we just found out the day before the conference started, was Dr. Bill Tracy from the University of Wisconsin signed up and came to the conference. He's probably the foremost representative of public, plant breeding in the wow. United States, that, you know, that almost all the land-grant colleges and almost all the research being done in universities in this country, and I, and I say, I think this funding is 70 to 1, biotech versus any other kind of plant breeding, and that any other kind we call public plant breeding. Wow. We call it that because it uses more traditional techniques, and most importantly, when something is discovered or perfected in a public plant breeding program, it becomes part of the public again. Yeah. It's given away. And this is how the whole farm, our whole farm system operated up until relatively recently. And then it's shifted, you know, completely to a, a state where everything that's released by the universities is patented now, sometimes by the university, sometimes in cooperation with the companies that paid for the research to have of course varieties developed. You know, in that whole thing that's starting that we hope is starting to change back, um, Bill Tracy, Dr. Tracy has emerged as one of those people. In fact, I think he got the first Cliff Foundation million dollar endowed chair for seed, public plant.
2: You talking about seed matters? Though? Right.
3: Well, it was the Cliff Foundation okay. that did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was a real honor to have him show up. You know, here we are a grassroots group of people that have self organized, trying to save our own seeds and here comes the
2: professor. <laughs> <laughs> and we should we should we should thank our board member Don Tipping for. He, they, there's another uh, conference called uh, Organicology, and also the what does Organic Seed Alliance call their biannual event? It's just the Organic, Organic Seed Growers. Conference. Yeah, the Organic Seed Growers Conference. Well, they have theirs every other year, and we're trying to stagger so we don't have them at the same time. But Organic Seed Alliance, you know, if you want the science and and the and the selection and the breeding and, and the strategies and the university work, you know, organic seed alliance is, is where it's at and they've got these two events that they rotate every other year. And one is organicology, and so I guess Dr. Tracy was there and was recruited by by Don Tipping, our our dear friend from Siskiyou Seeds, who's on our on our board. But that's how this happened. It was just like leapfrogging with people from other places that, you know, added on and came from here and came from there. In fact, we even well, this was this was easy, but Rebecca Newburn came, and uh-huh. of course, anybody who's involved with seed libraries probably knows that name because Rebecca's yep. kind. She's known as the uh, seed library mama. I don't know what she's known as. She, she. I think maybe she she likes to be known as the the uh, preparedness person. She has a whole track on being, you know, on preparing for for different things: disaster, climate change, earthquakes, and and you can actually find her online. But but she came, and how exciting! To know that we now have like six hundred and forty seven seed libraries around the world wow. and that many of those have used Richmond Grows Seed Lending Richmond dot org, which is the Richmond Grows Seed Lending Library, is the model where Rebecca has all the instructions, all the information if you want to start a seed library. So she was with what us for about three different it's the Richmond Grows
3: dot org. That was the first website that really mentioned she was the second seed library to move into a library in her town in Richmond, California. 2010, I think. Right, way back. And, and she's a seven, what, a middle school science yeah. teacher. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just starting a seed library at her local library, she wrote it all down and kept track of everything it, that it took to start the library and then put that all online. And so it was how to start a seed library button on the Richmond grows. Um, seeds.org. Um, seeds.org website that spawned the revolution, so to speak. I, it, I we, It's hard to find a seed library that got started that didn't use at least some of those resources. I got to introduce Rebecca in her workshop on how to start a seed library at the conference. And I was trying to think about what to say. And I said, oh... <laughs> This is like having a workshop on how to start your own automobile company. And today we have a special guest, Henry Ford. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she's the one. And so it was really special to have that there. And, and that kind of depth was, uh, went throughout so many of the workshops that we had. We were so honored to have some of the original People and some of the best people in their field
2: come in and give their workshops. We had had the board chair from the Organic Seed Alliance, Sebastian Aguilar, Uh presented. Philip Kauf who is with Seed Savers Exchange. He's head of their um, conservation conservation department. He joined us. And then we had just incredible local people, many of whom are involved in in the different pueblos and, and different indigenous communities there, who joined us as well, Rowan White, you know, with the Mohawk, She she's part of the I believe she is she chair of the Indigenous Seed Network. She is the chairman of the board of Seed Savers Exchange. Chairman of the board of Seed Savers. But she's also she's I think she she's a co-founder of this Indigenous Seed Keepers Network. <laughs> so we were, you know, we were kept on our toes constantly in terms of just the equanimity that we were attempting to to share together around seeds and seed origins and seed stories and seed as it relates to culture. Uh we had a lot of folks who just shared stories and experiences. It was it, it was just profound. Well Oh and oh. and and oh I just saw Bill I'm sorry, go ahead, I got excited. <laughs> go ahead, Bill. You, I just well, I was just happened. gonna ask
3: you, and maybe this is what you're excited about. What was your favorite workshop? Tell us which one you went to that had stories that
2: kept you, you know? Well, you have to understand, I was co-producing the event. Well, or, or, I know. Do but... you understand that? <laughs> I understand it totally. Uh, for those who don't know, Bill and I are co-founders along with Sean Kasha and co-directors of the Rocky Mountain Cedar Alliance. So when I, when I didn't oh. just sort of jesting poking him a little bit because we we both ran around a lot there was a lot of introduction a lot of damage control things like that I okay I enjoyed Radical Seed Projects with RIMSA with Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance Seed Teachers because I had fabulous people on the panel including Diane Pratt and Rich Murphy and Lexi Fick- Fickenshire from the Montessori of uh, the Denver Montessori School who's got a whole farm program there which includes seeds with the children. And I think a CSA, Rich Murphy is from veterans to farmers, you know. Um, Fort Collins, name? Colorado. Fort Collins. And he, what is his slogan? Oh gosh. Instead of. From instead of protectors. Dropping, from, from protectors to producers. From protectors to, and yes. And Diane Pratt, who is with the Master Gardeners, Santa Fe Master Gardeners, and they are now putting on seed schools. Annually. Yeah. Without, you know, just by themselves, we had Bill zoom in during their first effort in November. But interestingly, Diane Pratt is kind of the, the point person for that and the main teacher. She came to teacher training and she presented at Radical Seed Projects and she talked to she talked about from the ground up how to put together a program, which was absolutely perfect because we, and we worked with them, with the master gardeners there. We, we just got a grant from Lush Cosmetics for something that we're calling expanding seed saving exponentially, which is to assist other teachers in the community to do exactly what Diane did. And she handed over the PowerPoint with all the steps. <laughs> it's like, oh. thank you, Diane. <laughs> Well, so if you're listening
3: and you want a seed school in your, in your area, this is now beginning to offer a whole new set of options. We occasionally do our seed school teacher training. You can come and be trained as a teacher yourself. So you can go home like Diane and start teaching your own seed schools. And we have a list now, I think on our seed teacher Directory on our website, I think there's 52 seed teachers have signed up and these are people that are willing to help you either come and help you teach or share their resources so that you can get
2: up and running in your community and start teaching about this important subject. So some of the things we'll be making available to seed teachers. Certainly it would be helpful if, if people attended seed school teacher training or they got trained through any of the other different, you know, opportunities out there, including Dawn and Seed Academy, Seed Save, and the Well, the more you can else. learn, the better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, so it, that's a way to lay a base. And then we'll help with just formatting PowerPoints as necessary, budgets, registration portals, promotional materials, and just kind of guide the process. That's what the grant was, was for. But I did want to mention that one other thing, which you didn't know, Bill. We had five minutes. So I shared another Radical Seed Project called the Great American (laughs) Seed-Up
1: and I showed
2: one of our our videos and didn't have a lot of time to go into it, but just quickly explain that it's this gathering that we do every year in Phoenix in September with 70 plus varieties and big popcorn buckets and people come in and scoop up seeds and we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the months ahead. The Great American Seed-Up. so I think we should talk about the
3: titles of some of the workshops because um, we had a number of them filmed. And it's possible it's in the works and being discussed now that we will have a YouTube channel available so that people. So if you're listening tonight, this isn't just a one off. We're discussing things that you may get um, in the near future uh,
2: access to. And thank you to all this incredible technology. And the people that provided it for us, okay. we had, uh, this is the first time that we've actually been in a position where we had a photographer, Sharon Hopper, Sharon Hopper, Hooper, Sharon, and Ty, Tatiana, and Javier who did the videoing. So we've got it all. So yeah, so we're going to work on, we'll work on that and, uh, and see where that takes us to make it available. You want to talk about some of the workshops and, and, well, just- I was just
3: going to say my favorite workshop was one called Young, seed stewards rising. And it was interesting to me because they were all young Native Americans and they had dedicated themselves to either nonprofit projects that they were growing seeds for or even seed companies, small, you know, new seed operations. And the panel, you know, uh, Emily Arasman, who's one of our emerging bright lights, I would say, in the, the national seed movement, as she starts to dedicate herself more and more to that kind of work. She's spent the last year or so at the Tsuke Pueblo doing germination tests and helping to get the seed bank there with, in order. With the and With the mm-hmm. And so, But Tiana Baca was there. She's from Albuquerque, teaches in uh, a school in Albuquerque and, and manages a farm and garden program, an educational program. Uh, Chris Barney, incredible, uh Dine or Navajo young man who has his own little seed company, it, how did Dania Gonzalez was there? She was incredible also in that a story of just really finding out who she was in the world in her twenties through seeds and now dedicating her life to making sure that they're available and part of her life. And so it just gave me great hope. That, and and that, Reina. Yeah. And Reina. I don't um. know anything about Reina. Well, she they were all spectacular. And again, it just gave me great hope that young people, you know, it's so easy to get lost in this uh, technological world. But these people have all transcended that, found their identity and seeds and are marching forward. And they're actually, boy, they're going to be way better than we are (laughs) by the time they get to be our age. I mean, it's just, it's humbling. It's just humbling to see that kind of energy. So that was really one
2: of my favorite ones. Do you have another one, Belle? Did you make it to the? Well, end? I really in, I enjoyed. I actually Charles Eisenstein is he just he's got a, a new book out on climate change and climate a new story. And so you know, Greg, I mean, it's funny because we've been kind of messing around in the permaculture world for what the last twenty plus years, right? Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: Permaculture being a way of looking at things. In terms of integrating systems, it's a design system, and it helps us. Nothing goes to waste, and everything it serves everything else. And so, you know, the the native people in the we're talking permaculture, and the indigenous uh, folks there are going, yeah. And your point, uh, you know, I mean, indigent the indigenous ways. I mean, this is like this is who we are as human beings. And so, <laughs> sometimes I think we can we can be pretty arrogant. So anyway, Charles is uh, he just wrote a book. It's called Climate and the Story. And he is, is one of our great thinkers out there along the lines of Paul Hawken. You know, Paul Hawken, the ecology of commerce and yeah, um, from the original Smith and Hawken. But, but Charles basically has said, has said some things that we have all heard a time and time again. And it was really the way in which systems affect other systems so intricately and that you can't just, you know, eradicate the mosquito. And think that you have saved humanity because there's no more malaria because of the way that web, that deep, deep web. And so Charles kind of unpacked that for us again on Friday and brought up a lot of emotion. I think some people felt like, well, we've heard that before. Others felt I haven't heard it quite so beautifully posited. And a lot of emotions were flying around and it just became apparent that it, he kind of set the tone for the whole weekend. And the conversations continued around this place of awareness and now what? You know, don't don't tell us about 94% of the diversity is disappearing and the oceans are rising and give us, you know, what's next. And basically what he said is you can't approach this from a reductionist perspective. You can't just say, if we just deal with the carbon, we'll be fine. I think that pissed some people off because we're all working really hard to try to do what we can. And basically he's saying, and, and I, I hope I'm not misquoting him or yeah. Charles, if you're if you're listening tonight, please, please send in a little <laughs> a little correction or something. But basically that that we really have a responsibility to, to to live in relationship and to do what we can to honor that relationship and be cognizant of what we are doing on the planet. And it all helps. But to get into that kind of linear mechanistic thinking that if we do, if we just, you know, don't use straws, for example. (laughs) I'm picking on Greg because he's he's changed straws throughout Phoenix, Arizona. Nobody uses straws
1: for decades. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right, but and we all do what we can. But he really stirred things up. But I, I loved, I did love his presentation. Andrew Kimbrell from the Center for Food Safety basically did the same thing, did the same presentation as, as Charles, but spun it a little bit differently. Well, yeah, around lawsuits. Yeah, around lawsuits and love. <laughs> it's like with this attorney that's connected to the to New Cosmology and and, fa- and Father Thomas Berry and Wendell Berry, the great farmer and author and. The inspiring human. I mean, the, the mix of of people that that came and presented were profound and did stir up a lot. See, Bill's yeah, got uh, Bill, Bill's got the schedule up. Go
3: well, ahead. And, and just,
1: well, I just know. wanted
3: to say something about Charles Eisenstein. I, you know, what I got was that we need a new story. You know, sort of the the dominant white capitalistic culture on the North American continent, especially, needs to change its story about how it fits in. To the rest of the planet, and he's just making a serious attempt at trying to write a new story. And I, you know, he doesn't claim that it is the story, but we just need a new way of understanding how we're we're approaching things. And and the example he gave was about the environment was that if you think that we're gonna, you know, all we have to do now is get CO2 out of the atmosphere, you know, because of global climate change, then then you've missed all the other relationships and things that are going on that cause that to happen in the first place that are doing their own destruction and causing so much uh, diversity to be lost. And so it was just a reminder for me that everything's related and that we are an essential part of that relationship and how we think about each other in the world. It may be the
2: most important part of that, at least right now. And so that was really, really good. So Charles did. Charles has a series of podcasts, and Greg, you do too. And we would highly recommend that you interview him. He interviewed Brock Dolman recently from the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, oh, who's nice. one of the, yeah, one of the cool people out there doing permaculture work for decades. And I think he's the co-founder of the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. So I highly recommend that that you listen to that podcast because it's it's basically what we're trying to express. on um, podcast? It's a, it's just uh, Charles Eisenstein with Brock Dolman. It's a couple of weeks old. What's the name of? You the guys can just look up Charles Eisenstein. I don't know.
3: Yeah, it's E I S E N S T E I N, Charles Eisenstein. And you guys should interview each other. Yeah. Oh, that'd
2: be fun. <laughs> that'd yeah. Be fun. So you know, the we did a lot of other things too. We had a lot of hands-on stuff. We certainly mixed in our heritage grain programs and had people demonstrating various aspects of. Grain cleaning and milling. Our dear friends up in Flagstaff, Jackie and Steve Alston, brought their all their toys and uh, and did some threshing. And although again we had a horrible storm—not horrible—we had a wonderful storm on Friday night, so it made a little cha- made it challenging to do outside things. But we've got folks in um, northern New Mexico now who are doing participating in the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance grain trials at Los Luceros historic property. And cool. so there, and, and there are many things happening, of course, all over in terms of bakeries and breweries that are experimenting with local grains, trying to get that footprint a little smaller and, and going back to the, the ancient grains. Yeah. Speaking of which we do want to mention, I, before we get off today, I want to mention grain school because we have a three day grain school coming up in April in Cottonwood in the Burger Valley by, how people
1: find out about that? They
2: can, they can go online, rockymountainseeds.org. Three days. It's, 12, it's April 12, 13, 14. Our friend Gary, Dr. Gary Nabin, will be joining us for a couple of days. And Don Guerra from Barrio Bread um, in Tucson, who does awesome sourdough bread. And then we're all, we're just, in, since we were so completely overwhelmed with the Seed Summit, we're uh, now starting to get back on the horse and organize uh, wow. that event. It's taking place at the Eco Learning Center in Cottonwood. Sounds
1: like sounds like people need to come just for the food.
3: <laughs> well, and we've got grains planted in the fields we did last fall, so this will be a real hands-on. You'll get to see right. the grains growing. There's a commercial kitchen there, and then a wonderful classroom. When we're already starting to invite some of our favorite teachers that have been get- that have come to our other grain schools, mm-hmm. I think we're going to get great Shane, who's oh. the steward for Glass Gem Corn. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yes.
3: I talked to Greg cool. about coming over, so it's going to be a good good program. Right.
1: So there's a couple of questions okay. here. If you have on the live yeah. event, if you have uh, questions, just put them in on the right of your screen there. I want to get to these couple of questions, and then I want to ask you yeah. about Rocky Mountain Seed events that are coming up. So Michael from Mesa says, "Does vacuum sealing have any effect on seeds when saving them?"
3: Yeah, it kills them.
1: That
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was simple. Was a simple answer. Seeds are living, breathing embryos. They need to breathe. I mean, seeds have been stored a long time in sealed cans. And that's, you know, the industry recognizes that. You don't even have to germ test seeds as often if you put them in a sealed can, but they don't suck the air out. The air is necessary. What little air is in there is absolutely necessary. Yeah. You know, what you, what you don't want in there is moisture in the air. And I think that's behind some of the vacuum packing for food, as you get the moisture out as well as the air. And so that's why that's so popular. But seeds need the air. Just don't seal up your jar or your can or your bag on a rainy day in Phoenix. Wait for one of those beautiful days when it's only 6 or 8% humidity, and you'll have no trouble whatsoever.
1: Yeah, seal them, put them in jars, stick them in the freezers. Why don't you say a little bit about that too, Bill, storing it in the freezers. Right.
3: Freezer's a great place, but again, you want to seal it on a dry day, mm-hmm. just put the lid on or whatever. And once you put it in the freezer, you know, make sure it's in glass or in some sort of container that's uh, impermeable to moisture. And we know that even... You know, freezer bags, Ziploc freezer bags allow moisture. I mean, after a few years, you can, if something gets lost in your freezer, you go in and you can just see all the frost inside. Yep. And so you don't want that to happen. So glass jars, um, they do make plastic. Um, we're getting, I think, um, Greg, you're getting some paper foil poly. Packets we're looking for some
1: still. Yeah, we're looking for some uh, still.
3: And so those are the kinds of things you would use. And then once they're in the freezer and you're taking them out, make sure that they warm up to room temperatures. Huge. before you open them because otherwise the air that's in your room will go inside the jar say and because it's super cold it will condense any moisture that's in there on the inside of the jar and therefore all of a sudden then the inside of your jar is wet and that's not good for your seeds. so right. that's just one of the things you have to understand it slows down the process a bit when you get them out but it's still well worth it
1: perfect and robin Says, what is Charles' full name and the name of his book again, please? Was that the Charles that you, uh, Eisenstein that you mentioned a moment ago? Yes.
2: It's,
3: it's
1: his new book. He yes. also has
2: one on oh, sacred economics. And so. he also has one which I love is A More Beautiful World Our Heart know- Knows Is Possible. Cool. That's- that's I wanted to mention, I just wanted to read if I, oh, go ahead. Well, I wanted to spell his name for
3: okay. it, Or again. It's what they asked for. So Charles, and it's Eisenstein, E-I-S-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Eisenstein, spelled just like it sounds. Perfect.
1: Any other questions, Perfect. Greg, that are coming in? Well, not, should... not at the moment. Not at the moment. Okay, so uh, you were, you were going to read yeah. something real quick, and then I want to wrap up. Yeah.
2: Okay, good. Yeah, I just wanted to mention the keynote that Rowan provided us. It's called Healing Homecomings, Indigenous Seed Rematriation. Not repatriation, but rematriation. And the description, and we will, Rowan's presentation is probably one of the first ones that we will get ready probably on, send out on YouTube, because we videoed it, and I'm really hoping it came out well. Anyway, it says, it's Rowan White. And the description is, a seed matriation movement is underway with indigenous people carrying their ancestral seeds from seed vaults, institutions, and universities back to the lands of their birth. Rowan will share with us hopeful stories from this intergenerational movement and how it is empowering cross-cultural reconciliation work that is restoring food sovereignty and seed sovereignty within native communities. Well, that just about sums it up. <laughs> that's pretty, pretty deep. That's pretty, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. Good. I mean, and, and it's necessary and important and it's part of our story as well. What are you doing today, Greg? That'll have any effect in a thousand years. <laughs> well, Bill, McDorm- Bill McDormand says significance, but <laughs> that's a, that's what are you doing today I, that has any significance in a thousand years? Well, Rowan got, got it, got it covered. Yeah.
1: Perfect. So programs that people can take. We talked about Grain School, seed School Online. You can find that at com. What else you got coming up?
2: We have another, um, we're going to do a grain school, a two-day grain school with the museum, the Albuquerque Museum in July. That'll be a two-day. That's July, that. July 26th and 27th. And we'll be doing that with our friends at uh, Los Luceros, George, property the grain trial folks there with seed broadcast as well seed broadcast i think no seed broadcast wasn't at your teacher at your seed school greg but they uh record stories and they have a, a magazine called Agra culture with an emphasis on culture oh. and then the garden's edge also, is at the at the bottom on the yeah the garden's edge. And then um, we have our grain trials program that we're getting ready to kick off again, where we've sourced how many grains? Oh, we have two hundred and eighty-five grains that are I available. Mean- And we have over 100 people now
3: that have signed up to help us grow them out, see if they work where you live. And if they work, um, let us know and return twice as much seed as we sent you in the first place with any information that you've gathered about how well they do. And what we're trying to do is find the grains that used to grow here and some new ones from around the world. We've got purple Tibetan barley, some really incredible exotic stuff. And they're so beautiful. I mean, even if you just
2: use them for cut flower arrangements, I mean, it would just be a stunning addition. We have our seed stewards program where we ask people to just take responsibility for one seed and grow it out. It's a little form. And again, you know, we try to help with resources, technical resources and support and a network. And just trying to, to bring back the diversity in, in communities and for the communities to identify those interesting and rare things that they can find and uh, uncover. Um, we're also, you know, I know Bill earlier said that we're not see- doing seed banking and things like that, but we are ins- trying to inspire others to start small community seed banks. And we do have, um, you know, a little bit of support and networking. We have certainly have, do we have a, we don't have a seed bank directory at this point. Um that's still up and coming. But you know, we're uh, we we will do some seed school, either a seed school or a grain school or a teacher training this year. We actually have another proposal into the USDA's SARE program, sustainable agriculture research education is the acronym, and they funded a seed school teacher training for agricultural professionals in October. And we presented them with the option of perhaps funding a grain school teacher training for agricultural professionals. So people could, in their community farmers market, people or extension agents could start working in their communities to build up the grain resource. And so we're waiting to hear back on that. And depending on what happens with that, we'll determine whether we do that program or a seed school or a seed school teacher training. So never at a loss for things to do. And, great. Oh, that's great. One
3: of the exciting things that
2: happened, I want
3: everybody that's listening that's either um, growing some seeds on their own and replanting them in their own yard, no matter how small it is, wherever you are, you are one of the most important people in the world. And the fact that we've come together with this software and networked ourselves and now we get together every other year um, is starting to be recognized as something really important. And I think because of that, We've been invited to present at the International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources for Food and Agriculture a meeting that will take place in Rome with the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And they, they're looking for a United States representative of this grassroots movement that is taking place all over the planet. And they don't usually associate that with the United States, <laughs> the representatives that have been part of this organization up to this point have more represented i think industrial agriculture on some scale or another, and so I think we're you know our day is coming this the summit that we did was exciting for those of us that got to go. We will put. workshops up yeah we're going to put workshops (laughs) up as we can uh we don't you know we're four part-time people in the organization so as we can get things going if you want to help us and make a donation and help us grow this network we use most of our resources to uh, run our seed schools and grow the network and to keep our networking software running so that people can find each other that's really what we're here to do so and the next seed summit Well, you know, in two years, we started talking about the next one we're hoping will be in Buell, Idaho, on a 22-acre hot springs property. (laughs) And so it's going to be a seed and soak.
2: (laughs) I can't keep us out of those hot
3: springs. (laughs) So that's why it's more, it's a permaculture project, Greg, that's starting to evolve. And so we don't know if it'll be ready for us yet, but we're going to be starting to grow grains and
2: other things this year, so it's really exciting. Self-organizing, self-organizing, so we can go have fun.
1: Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have fun.
2: We had big fun, but, boy, yeah. what, what a... Cool. So a while for, to get over this one.
1: For more information,
2: you Rocky can go
1: to RockyMountainSeeds.org. Rock, Rocky org. Thank you, Bill and Bell, for another great, awesome seed chat. We do this once a month, and then we package them up, and slide them into our podcast at urbanfarmpodcast.com. So thank you both for coming. Thank You're welcome. you welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good night, it. everybody. Good night. And uh, as I always like to say, I'll catch you on the flip side. Farm out.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org,